All right, students. Last time we talked, we talked about book 20 of Homozilia. Today we're going to talk about books 21 and 22. And in particular, last time we got to see um, a, a sort of uh, expression of Achilleus's fury. And we saw that he is represented by fire imagery and in fact that he is becoming like a fire stoked by wind that burns everything to the ground, which we thought was especially uh, appropriate at that time, given that we all live in California and that there were terrible wildfires going up and down the northern and southern coasts. Though today, we actually have a little bit of rain, wonderfully enough. So let's start with book 21. And also, uh, just before we get there, book 20, we saw one of the sons of Priam, his youngest son. Uh, does anybody recall what the name of this youngest son was who dies in so many different ways? Throughout uh, the epic cor corpi, or corpora, I guess, technically is how I should say it. Yes? Polydorus. Polydorus, yes, Polydorus. Many gifts. Poor Polydorus, yes, he fell. So, let's see more sons of Priam die then. So, in book 21, we have the Aristea of Achilleus. And we know Aristea from, which is an abstract noun or adjective, based on the word aristos, means the acts of excellence of a man on the battlefield. How does one act excellently on the battlefield? By doing what to one's opponents? Killing. killing them, yes, killing them. And so, the first thing that Achilleus does is he captures 12 Trojans and binds their arms behind their backs and sends them back to the Greek camp. This is what he intends to do with them. This is not something that is normally done. He intends, he wants to put them around the funeral pyre of Patroclus and then sacrifice them to Patroclus, like a primitive, barbaric, sacri human sacrificial uh, ritual, which is not something that was done at this time. That's sort of along the same lines as cannibalism, something that may have been once done in culture at a long remove from now that was no longer done uh, by those who... Uh, existed during the time of the Iliad. Though we will see instances of cannibalism, at least by giants in the Odyssey. But those will not be considered civilized people. And so you might say that one aspect of a civilized person is that they do not cannibalize those around them. <laughs> so, next, Achilleus catches Lycan. Yes? I read in some portions that like people would say they wanted to eat someone's liver or something like that in the book. Yes, yes, there have been instances say, of Zeus talking to Hera, saying that she would not be happy until she walked down the streets of Troy and ate all of the Trojans. But that was a bit of hyperbole, you might imagine, some exaggeration. Didn't uh, Hecabe, uh, Hector's mother, and I think... That's what, yes, that's what he was thinking of, that she would once, yes, when she is lamenting the death of her son, she wished, or even beforehand, she wishes she could eat the liver of Achilleus, that's right, uh, while consuming him whole. Yes, in any case. Next, Achilleus catches Lycaon, and Lycaon is somebody I want to tell you about. So Lycaon, first and foremost, was the character that Apollo took the form of in the last lecture. And remember that Apollo oddly recommended that Aeneas fight against Achilleus, which would definitely have resulted in what happening to Aeneas, yes? Death, Death. yes, exactly right. And so who, which god was it? that actually had to save Aeneas, oddly, even though he's on the Athean side? Poseidon. Poseidon. And so that was very strange. Which two goddesses, because of many oaths that they have sweared against the Trojans, said, we will definitely not help in any way save Aeneas, yes? Athena and Hera. Athena and Hera. Good, 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 good. Well, so, Lycaon. Lycaon is the son of 
Priam. I believe he is a bastard son, which means illegitimate son, which means he was not born to Priam's wife, Hecuba. Uh, Hecuba has something like, I believe uh, the explicit number is 19 of Priam's sons, whereas Priam has 50. So the majority of Priam's sons are from women, not his wife. He is sort of considered an Eastern Lord, has, Lord, has something of a harem. A harem is, uh, uh, does anybody know what a harem is? Has anybody ever heard of that concept before? It is where there is one man, and he, like sort of a chimpanzee alpha, has several wives. And so, there it is. Yes. So is he basically like a more than Zeus? Yes, very similar, except for uh, maybe even more so because Zeus is not allowed to have a harem. He just happens to cheat on his wife and get caught often enough, which causes some friction. So, uh, you might say even Zeuser than Zeus, or just very different. Uh, there might be a fundamental difference between Western and Eastern concepts there. Because, of course, Zeus is married only to how many women? Only the one, even though he, he does cheat often. And so you might say that that might be a fundamental difference in uh, how the two cultures or the two concepts order their societies. In any case, Lycaon, he is the least lucky man at Troy, you might say. Why? Well, he has run into Achilles before and survived. That sounds lucky. Well, what did Achilles do when he caught him last time? Well, yes. He sold him into slavery because when you catch somebody who's rich, you could kill them and take their armor, or you could sell them and get a whole bunch of wealth for them. And if they happen to be wealthy, it might be actually to your advantage to sell them into slavery rather, or to sell them back to their families as a ransom rather than to kill them, if you're really thinking economically. Now that said... Is Achilles still thinking intelligently and economically and about possessions? Does he care about possessions right now? No. No, he already told us. He does not care about Agamemnon's possessions being given to him. The only thing he wants is what? Revenge. Revenge. He wants blood. Whose blood? Hector's. Hector's and any Trojan that gets in his way. And so, here's the story of Lycaon. He was caught by Achilles. He was sold into slavery. He was bought back by his father Priam. 11 days ago, this is the 12th day since he's been back, he's come back out onto the battlefield. Who does he see? Achilles. Achilles. A nightmare. He sees a nightmare, you might say. It might take me a second to find this, but Achilles, in his sort of fervent rage, makes some funny comments. So starting at line 54 on uh, book 21, he says, Can this be? Here is a strange thing that my eyes look on. Now the great-hearted Trojans, even those I have killed already, will stand and rise up again out of the gloom and darkness, as this man has come back and escaped the day without pity, though he was so though he was sold into sacred limnos. Question: Which god is limnos sacred to? Who fell to limnos many years ago and was nursed back to help by a Goddess named Eurynome and one named Thetis. Yes? Hephaestus. Very good. The Limnian god is Hephaestus. But the minion of the gray sea could not hold him, though it holds back many who are unwilling. But come now. He must be given a taste of our spearhead, so that I may know inside my heart and make certain whether he will come back even from here, or the prospering earth will hold him. She who holds back even the strong man. All right. Gnarly. Is Achilles going to show him quarter? Is he going to show him mercy? Is he going to sell him into slavery this time around? No. 
No, he is not. And so, Lycaon is unarmed. He runs from Achilles. He runs into the river Xanthos Scamandros, as the mortals call it. He's running away from Achilles. Achilles, as swift-footed, catches him. He begs him, spare my life. Spare my life. Achilles not only kills him, but then callously throws his body into the waves of the river. Rivers, we know from our geography, where do they flow down into? All rivers, yes? The ocean. The ocean, yes. What happens to your body then if it gets thrown into a river? It gets dragged down into the ocean. Does it ever get buried? No. No. So that's a very cruel way to kill somebody because one of the most important parts of ancient Greek life is death and your burial rites. You can never be a hero and never have a cult of the hero if you don't have a spot in which you were buried where people can come to give gifts and to give sacrifice. Yes? Have any Greek, not Greek soldiers, not from that battle, but like, have any been found in the ocean like that? Like, as if they were thrown and just left there? In the context of the Iliad? Or, like, just overall, like, in archaeology or anything, have they found anything like that? Well, archaeologically, we have found Troy. Um, we have found lots of things. We wouldn't have found, like, uh, you know, it's been so long, it's been, you know, almost 3,000 years since this sort of thing happened. If we found anything, it would be some skeletons. Yes? Did anybody ever come back from the dying? There are attempts to bring people back from death. In particular, I'm thinking of Orpheus and Eurydice, his wife. How would you do that? You have to go down to Hades. You have to get by Cerberus. You have to convince Hades to allow you to take somebody and not have the Gorgon head, Medusa's head, thrown at you, which petrifies you. You need not eat the food in the underworld, and then you need to come back up. But no person was ever successful at bringing a dead person back from the dead. There were people like Theseus, Heracles, Odysseus, uh, Aeneas, who will go down to the underworld and will come back up, but they'll come back up with information. They'll not come back up with the dead. And you might consider that that's what you do when you learn stories in history, right? You don't bring back to life the characters by bringing their physical bodies to life, but you bring them back to life by now inhabiting the same information about them, yes. Do any characters try to escape the underworld? Um, there's a guy named Pirithoos. We'll talk about him. He eats some food. He loses. All right, good. So, Lycaon. Okay, so Achilles then boasts over his body, which he dumps into the river Scamandros. All right, this angers the river god, who then inspires a young man named Asteropios to attack Achilles. Good. Something interesting about Asteropios, and he has one of the hardest names to say in the Iliad. He is himself the son of a river god, which seems to be why there's a connection between him and Xanthos, who is another river god. I think he might be the son of the Simeis. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up very quickly. Well, in any case, Asteropios has a very specific ability, an ability that soccer players in here and basketball players will appreciate. He's ambidextrous. To be ambidextrous means that your right hand and your left hand are equally right. That means that they are equally useful. Uh, in fact, the word ambos, as we all know from Spanish and Latin, means both. Dextra from Latin means right, so both right hands. And right hand was usually the hand by which you threw your spear. Left hand was the hand in which you held your shield. And so if both your hands are right hands, you can equally throw, you can throw well equally with both. And so what he does 
Because he actually, and this dispels the idea that Achilles is literally immortal or literally invulnerable, he throws two spears at once. Somebody throws two spears at once at you, which direction do you move? You don't know. You don't know. That's right. And so the spear, one of them, grazes the arm of Achilles. Now, grazing, does that sound like a grievous injury or a shallow injury? Shallow, shallow of course. Not a big injury. But what does it show the Trojans and us? That Achilles is just as much a human as all of us and can be just as injured as all of us. That he is vulnerable. Well, Achilles very quickly dispatches Asteropios. And, well, he goes, he goes a little bit crazy afterwards. So, yes, yes, yes. Well, in fact, let's go. <laughs> yes, uh, and, uh, well, even before I read that, just what he says to Lycaon after he kills him. Lie there now among the fish who will lick the blood away from your wound and care nothing for you, nor will your mother lay you on the deathbed and mourn over you, but Scamandros will carry you spinning down to the wide bend of the salt water, the ocean. The fish will break a ripple, shuddering dark on the water, as he rises to feed upon the shining fat of Lycaon. Die on all! What an expression. Die on all. Till we come to the city of sacred Ilion. All right. Well, here it is now. But the son of Peleus, drawing from beside his thigh the sharp sword, this is the fight between him and Asteropaios, sprang upon him in fury. Nasteropios could not, with his heavy hand, wrench Achilles' ash spear free of the riverbank. Three times he struggled, straining to wrench it clear, and three times gave over the effort. So Achilles has thrown his spear at Asteropios. Asteropios has thrown his spears at Achilles. Asteropios is now trying to grab the spear of Achilles out of the ground. But Achilles is so strong that what happened to the spear when he threw it into the ground? It dug so deep into the ground that it can't be ripped out. So while Asteropaios is trying to get that spear out, what is Achilles doing? Running. Running towards him to kill him. Yes. But can't no other person carry Achilles' spear? That's right. Patroclus tried to. That's right. But Lycaon, well, excuse me, but Asteropaios is just doing whatever he possibly can at this moment to stop from death. It will not be very effective, though. So here it is. Would that help either if he ran? <laughs> It's a, you know, I think the idea here is you try and run from Achilles, you die. You try and fight Achilles, you die. If Achilles is near you and you're his enemy, you die. You die. That's right. That's right. Trying to break it. But before this, Achilles took his life with the sword from close up, for he struck him in the belly next to the navel, and all his guts poured out on the ground. That is called being disemboweled. And in mist of darkness closed over both eyes as he gasped life out and springing upon his chest Achilles stripped his armor away and spoke in triumph above him and I want you to think about whether this sounds like something that a deranged demented deluded human would say or a clear-minded rational uh, 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 logical human would say lie so it is hard even for those sprung of a river to fight against the children of Kronos, whose strength is almighty. But I claim that I am the generation of great Zeus, 
The man is my father who is lord over many myrmidons, Peleus, Iacos' son. But Zeus was the father of Iacos. And as Zeus is stronger than rivers that run to the sea, so the generation of Zeus is made stronger than that of a river. For here is a great river beside you. If he were able to help, but it is not possible to fight Zeus, son of Kronos. Not powerful Acheloios matches his strength against Zeus. That's actually the uh, father of Asteropaios. Nor the enormous strength of Ocean with his deep running rivers. Ocean, from whom all rivers are in the entire sea, and all springs and all deep wells have their waters in him. Yet even Ocean is afraid of the lightning of great Zeus and the dangerous thunderbolt when it breaks from the sky crashing. Yes? How would a river god work? Like, would they be like an actual they would be generally an anthropomorphized being that has control over the waters itself. In fact, we're going to see that happen. That the Xanthos, and well, Xanthos is sort of strange because we don't actually see a physical figure of Xanthos. We'll just see its waves get to work and it will talk. So it's sort of a mixture between the two. It's like a talking river. Uh, the strongest of the rivers, though, like the Achiloios, a story about Achiloios is that it's actually a horned river that tried to fight against Heracles. Can you guess what happened to it? Had one of his horns broken off. <laughs> yes. You know how you said that uh, when you kill someone, uh, they strip off their armor. Yes. How do they carry around all the armor? Do they just run it back to their camp with this pass, drop it, and then go back and fight? That is the idea. That they spend time trying to grab the armor, taking it back to the ships, and then come back to the fighting. Which is why Nestor, when the Achaeans started to lose, said, "Listen, forget about getting armor. You all need to stay here and fight." Because, yes, that would be a very inefficient way of fighting, but that definitely would have been how people fought. All right, good. So, Achilles continues to fill the river with corpses until, finally, the river god, Xanthos Scamandros, complains that he is choking on the dead bodies. I want you to think about that just for a moment. How many dead bodies it would take for a major river <laughs> to start to choke on them? Th this is a mythological story, but, yes, a lot is the idea. I mean, it has a current. The current moves the bodies. There are so many bodies in here that it is starting to choke. Achilles is a killing machine at this moment. He's fire. Other people are trees. He's taking them out. And so Achilles at first seems to agree to stop it. But a moment later, he becomes he, we see him locked in combat with the river itself. He then loses this combat. In fact, the river will send a giant wave to destroy him. And uh, he'll even wish for a moment that he had died in battle with Hector rather than be drowned by a river. Because, well, death by Hector, which then would amount to a, uh, a, uh, a good into his story and then a burial and uh, ritualistic war games afterwards would be the heroic death that Achilles would want. In fact, that is the sort of death that Achilles will get. Well, as he's running... He gets reassured by Poseidon, who seems to be the god that reassures the Achaeans, at least since book 14 or so. Hera then sees that Xanthos, who is a god on the side of the Trojans, is trying to harm Achilles. Achilles is a necessary tool of fate to kill Hector. When Hector dies, Troy will fall. Hera does not want Achilles to die. She sends her son Hephaestus to deal with Xanthos. And you might not have this all written yet, but that's okay. we got to move on. So now we have the Theomachy. 
The Theomachy comes from two Greek words, Theos, God, Makos, war. So this is the war of the gods, or the battle of the gods. And we're going to see the gods pair off, and you are going to have to know which gods are on which side, and uh, which gods fight whom, and which gods win. So, <clears throat> and if you want to think very symbolically, perhaps you can tell me what it means when each one of these gods beats another god. Not necessarily today, but during seminar tomorrow. So, first thing that happens. Hephaestus goes down to deal with Xanthos. The first thing we know is that Hephaestus is an Olympian-class god. Xanthos is a regional river god. Who has greater pride of place? Hephaestus. And he is also much stronger. What he does is he lights trees on fire, throws them into the Xanthos, and lights the river on fire itself. So much so that the water... When water is subjected to extreme heat, what does the water turn into? Gas, steam, vapor. So the water starts to turn into vapor. The river starts to disappear. So powerful is Hephaestus. Actually, uh, the river then screams out to Hera, Stop! Stop your terrible son! I, I give up! I will no longer help the Trojans! Do what you want! Stop burning me alive! Wait, so... So far as we know, so far as we know, at the very least, his existence is due to the presence of that water. If that water isn't there, he's not there. So he dies if there's no water? Hmm. Or, or he just becomes, I, it's hard to say. The, we don't, the Greeks didn't think it out that much. Something powerful has a spirit. If the, the powerful thing stops to exist, is the spirit still there? Hard to say. Probably not, though. So, then, because we've got to move fast today, Ares challenges Athena. War God against War God. We finally get to see what happens. Well, what happens? Athena throws a stone at Ares, which knocks him down over supposedly nine leaves. So he's rather large. So she deals with him pretty easily. Then Aphrodite comes down. Aphrodite tries to drag Ares off. You'll learn in the Odyssey that Aphrodite and Ares were once lovers, even though... Aphrodite was married to Hephaestus. Ooh, yeah, it's painful, it's painful. And Hephaestus will say, he'll say, the only reason that she liked him more than me is that he's more handsome than I am. We'll all feel a little bit sad when we hear that. But we'll also probably understand it, too. And so, as Aphrodite is leading Ares away, mm -mm -mm, Athena is still there. She strikes her down as well. I believe she hits her right in the chest. Yes, and... Aphrodite goes, ow! Falls down. <laughs> Athena 2, Trojan 0. Poseidon then challenges Apollo. And he gives a pretty good argument. Now recall that Poseidon is the uncle of Apollo. And recall also that Apollo and Poseidon are often on the same side. They were both enslaved by Priam's father, Laomedon, and helped to uh, build the walls of Troy. In fact, it was supposedly Poseidon who built the walls of Troy. Um, uh, after, I believe, Heracles sacked them, or just before, I can't recall exactly when, and Apollo was a shepherd on the hillsides. Yes? How did he sleep with them? There was some trick. There was some trick to it. I'd have to look, I'll have to look up the specific story. But either, either they were tricked into being slaves of Laomedon for a year, or they agreed to be workers for him for a year and demanded a reward for it, and then he denied it to them. It might have been that. 
I think it might have been that one too. I think it might have been that one too. We'll look it up. Yes, well, yep, there we are. There we are. And so, arguing that Apollo ought to oppose the Trojans, this is what Poseidon says, because long ago Poseidon and Apollo were swindled in a deal with Priam's ancestor Laomena, not his ancestor, but rather his father. And so, well, what does Apollo then do? Well, he refuses to fight against Poseidon. He says, these mortals, and very famously he says, he gives us a quote that Glaucus gives, just as the generations of leaves are, so are the generations of mortals. They come to be, they pass away. There's no reason for gods to fight over mortals. They'll just die anyway. I'm out. Well, when he does this, his sister Artemis, who is now on the Trojan side alongside Leto, their mother, who's called Latona in the Roman tradition, well, she screams at Apollo. She says, you so often at the dinner table of the gods have said that you were stronger than Poseidon, and now you're unwilling to fight against him? Don't ever make that claim again. So now we've seen multiple times gods claim that they could take out another god, but then not fight when it came down to it. When was the last time we saw a god claim he was just as strong as another god, but then didn't fight him? Yes? Poseidon and Zeus. So you can tell that the pecking order is at least Zeus, Poseidon, Apollo. We don't know where Athena is. She's definitely above Ares and Aphrodite. All right, possibly above Apollo too. We have to really think about it. It'd be in interesting to see. And so Artemis, while she's screaming at Apollo, catches the attention of Hera. And Hera, very much like a mom, catches Artemis close to her, takes her bow out of her hand and boxes her ears. Now, that's not something that we usually do to young people anymore. Has anybody ever had their ears boxed? Well, so what, what it's supposed to do is basically somebody kind of cuts your ears really fast. They hit it really hard, creates sort of a small vacuum. Supposedly you can blow out someone's eardrum if you do that sort of thing. It's a very painful sort of thing to do. But it is also very parent-to-child-like thing to do. So Artemis is not being treated here with a ton of respect. She actually, she actually runs off crying after this happens, which is pretty funny. Now the strangest interaction we get is that between Argephantes and Leto. And Argephantes is just an epithet of Hermes. Arge, Argos. Argos was a, a creature used to guard a lover of Zeus who was turned into a cow named uh, Io. And now, <laughs> And he turned her into a cow so that Hera didn't catch him cheating. And then Hera said, well, then give me that cow. And he said, okay. And so one of his former lovers was a cow who was then being watched over by a giant who had eyes all over his body so that when some of them went to sleep, the others would stay awake so that he was the perfect guardian. So Zeus was like, I don't want my lover to stay a cow forever because of my own mistake. So he gets his trickiest god. His trickiest god is whom? Hermes. And says, go save her. So Hermes uses his caduceus, casts a spell onto Argos. His caduceus can supposedly take you from waking to being asleep, take you from sleeping to be awake, and even to take you from being dead to being alive, supposedly. Very interestingly. <clears throat> but in this case, he makes Argos fall asleep, slices his throat, takes the cow back, gets turned back into a person, Zeus actually, if you read Ovid's Metamorphoses, eventually will own up to that with Hera. 
and say that it was not her, it was not Io's mistake, but his own, which is very interesting, him taking responsibility like that. In any case, phantes comes from the Greek verb, or one of the Greek verbs, for to kill. So Hermes is known as Argos killer, because he killed the creature with the many eyes, and actually those many eyes then got taken and thrown into the tail of a creature. Which creature has many eyes on its tail? Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. The peacock. The peacock is the creature with eyes on it. And in fact, if you read Ovid's Metamorphoses, that is the creature that is then given to Hera, and that is the creature that draws her chariot along. A bunch of peacocks. Yes. And if you think about it, a peacock reminds me, even though these are the male peacocks, a bit of a queen. Have their hair done up nicely, very beautiful, garlanded nicely. Interesting. Aphrodite, what is it that draws her along? I think Apollo has glimpses. No, Apollo has dragons in the metamorphoses. She might be drawn on by, no, Dionysus is drawn on by lynxes. I'm not sure what Aphrodite is drawn on. She might not have a chariot, but she's not a very bellicose, uh, she's not a very warlike goddess. All right, in any case, Hermes now stands against Leto. He's very clever. Now, the thing about Leto is we recall from Zeus's very, very uh, not romantic, uh, sweet-talking to his wife. Everybody remembers that he listed out seven women slash gods that he had once lain with and then had children with before he laid with his wife. Yeah, well, one of them was Leto. And the gods that he had his children with her were Apollo and Artemis. And so Hermes is really clever. He says this. He says... I'm not going to fight with you because it is unwise for anybody, God or mortal, to fight against a former wife of Zeus. Because who might get mad at you? Zeus. Zeus. And who might take that out on you? Zeus. Zeus. And what does Zeus have access to that no other god has access to? Lightning bolts that burn you for all eternity. That's right. And so what does Hermes not want to take any risks about having happen to him? Getting burned for all eternity is Hermes a pretty cerebral, intelligent god? Yes. Yes, yes he is. That is a good question. Whenever somebody tries, well, hmm. so we do see that Athena can wear the half, the cap of Hades, and be and be totally invisible. It might be possible. The only reason Zeus has the lightning bolts is that the three great Cyclopes, Brontes, Steropes. And I always forget the third one's name, even though it does change. Uh, I think it even starts with a P. I forget what it is. Those three Cyclopes, after the defeat of the Titans, gave the Thunderbolts or to Zeus, which he then used to defeat the Giants. Would the gods be as scared of him if he didn't have them? That's a good question. That would be a good question. Would you be as scared of somebody if they lost part of the power that gave them authority? Possibly, possibly not, probably not, though. Good. So, Hermes says, you can tell all the other gods you beat me. I don't mind. Flies off. So, very interesting, very interesting. All right, so, meanwhile, back to the humans. And this will be where we end today. And so, we're not going to get through book 21 to 22. We're going to have to talk about 22 later. I'm sorry that it has to take another lecture. But meanwhile, Priam sees that the Trojans are losing and orders the city gates open. He's watching the fight from the Tankos, from the wall. 
He sees Achilles filling the river with bodies. Is it going well with the, for the Trojans? No. He opens the gates and says, come back in, come back in. Full retreat, full retreat. And well, while that's happening, the gods, again, have to distract Achilles. They have to do something to Achilles. We've seen Xanthos try and fight him. We've seen Poseidon get in his way. Now we see Apollo keep him from fighting against the Trojans. What would be happening right now if the gods were not messing with Achilles? Yes? He might overcome destiny or fate itself and destroy the Trojans. Right. So Apollo impersonates the figure of Agenor, who is a champion who is the son of Antenor, one of the great counselors of Priam. And he allows the Trojan forces to take refuge behind the walls by distracting Achilles. He runs in one direction opposite from the wall. Who follows him? Achilles. And Achilles is going to be mad as a hornet when Apollo turns back at him and says, hey, why are you chasing after me? The people you actually want to fight are over there. And Achilles is going to say something like, if I had the power to punish you right now, I would. It's like, whoa. Whoa. That is quite the thing to say to the god. And well, here's the slide where we'll start next time. I guess we're going to have to pick up on Monday. The final fight, Achilles versus Hector.